From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to you, you both Jewish, Jews and Greeks, and they must return to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Only I know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you are none of you among whom I have gone out about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the words of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those that who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of your holy word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light to our paths, and a strength to our lives. Take us and use us to love and serve in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So, we've been reading through Acts for the last few months. We've been following the Anglican lectionary. How exciting we've done Romans and Acts because the church said we should. So we've done sermon series without somebody having to sit and think, what should we do? We've been reading through Acts and tonight we've come to the point where Paul's saying goodbye. Some of you who were here last week, we had that reading last week, but as we didn't actually touch on it, I had a chat with Pat and we decided that let's actually look at that reading tonight. So, at the end of chapter 19, Paul had left Ephesus in a hurry, go back and read it and see what was going on. And in chapter 20, he travelled around the region a bit. And in the verses just before tonight's section, we're told how Paul and his companions set off by ship. But then they got to Miletus and they had a little break. So Paul sent for the elders of the church in Ephesus so he could say a proper farewell to them which is what we're going to look at tonight. So, Paul's farewell. Now, I'm sure from the people here, many of you, like me, have had to make farewell speeches. 
when you've moved on from one job to another or you've retired. As Dave reminds me often, I've moved around jobs a fair bit, so I've had six of these occasions, but possibly not all with speeches. I had a look on the internet to see what it's recommended you say, and I found quite a lot of help, which was never there when I last wrote one. So you're supposed to be sincere, express genuine feelings. You should express positivity, uh, dwell on the good outcomes and the good projects and events you've been involved in, and be brief, succinct and concise, no padding or waffle. Uh, and it's a bit more helpful than that. It says a bit of a summary about how long you've been with the company, what you've admired or enjoyed about the workplace, how you admire the, and appreciate the rest of your colleagues, what you feel about leaving, and some gratitude and thanks for, for all the support you've had and the friendship you've had. You might mention some special memories or good-humoured anecdotes. You might touch on why you're leaving, if that's a good reason. And also, make sure you get some hopes and wishes for those staying on. So I found this one. I can't tell you how difficult it is to describe how sad I am to be leaving. I'd never have realised how connected I would be to such a warm community of people. Many times, I've been humbled by the kindness of your heart. When I look at this gift you've given me, I remember all we've done together. Tomorrow, I wake up in my new life, full of yet-to-be-realised opportunities, but empty of your company. I'll be in a strange limbo. You've helped me through difficult times and shared shared joy. I also want to just remember a time when I was in trouble and Timothy stepped in to lend a hand and I don't think he knows how much that meant. I also want to remember Barnabas because he always had a joke and a smile for me and I was welcome to relax and unwind at his house. So seeing you all here in front of me, the last time all together, is a picture I'll treasure for a long time. So, till the next time we gather, my dear friends, farewell for now. Now, in most offices, that would probably go down fine. But that's not what Paul did. That's nothing like Paul did his farewell. So, Paul, he's ending his third missionary journey. Jerusalem's his destination, and he's, like I said, in Miletus. It's not very far to Ephesus, so send off the messenger get the elders to come and meet him once more. They're really happy to come, but it's a sad meeting because they know they'll, they'll not see him again. But unlike that example I read, and most of the ones you've ever heard or given, Paul doesn't talk about them. He talks about himself. And he focuses on three main areas before he finally, in the last bit, does say goodbye. So we can look at this message under the following headings. Paul's faithfulness in mission, Paul's courage in adversity, and Paul's clear conscience. So firstly, in verses 21, sorry, 17 to 21, he talks about his faithfulness in mission. So he starts his farewell, telling them what he's done, how all-consuming it's been. So in verse 18, it talks about how he lived the whole time he was with them, from the first day he came to the province of Asia. Then in verse 20, he reminds them that he's taught both publicly and from house to house. 
and 21 goes on, he's declared it to Jews and Greeks and that they must have repentance and faith. So in each example, he's, he's given a pair of descriptions to describe how wide his ministry is. So, so notice, he's talked about the first day, the whole time, publicly and house to house, Jew and Greek. Gosh, we've been going through Romans, we've seen quite a bit of that. Repentance and faith. And it just shows how all-encompassing his passion for evangelism was. It's like he's saying, I've declared the good news of God's grace at all times, in all places, to all people. He's reminded them just how focused he's been. And the question for us is, do we, the family of St Stephen's gathered here, have that same focus on the gospel? Second bit of his speech, verses 22 to 24, his courage in adversity. Now, Paul's had a tricky time since, since he actually converted to faith. And he doesn't hide behind false modesty and making light of his troubles. He, he's pretty honest. He says he's going to Jerusalem and he doesn't know what happened to him there. But you can be sure he wasn't expecting it would be an invitation to a party. He says he knows he's being warned by the Holy Spirit that prison and hardship are facing him in every city. And if you read on to the end of Acts, you'll see he does make it to Jerusalem after another shipwreck, and then he's arrested, and he continues to witness, and he's finally, after a lot of different trials and things, he's finally transferred to Rome, kept under house arrest. But all the time, he continued to preach the gospel. So we don't actually know from the Bible whether or not he was martyred or where he died. But certainly from what we can read, we know he didn't have an easy life from this point onwards. But he doesn't ask them to pray that he'll be rescued and that his troubles will go away. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, that's not a sign of him giving up. Ah, poor me, my life's worthless. Don't achieve anything and I might as well be dead. No, he's just saying the desire to testify to God's love is all he needs as a motivation. He's not interested in the next step of career progression, becoming an internationally recognised speaker, He's just interesting in testifying to God's grace. He doesn't treat his life as precious, but often we do. We press on to the next goal. Can we say our value, our only value, is in completing the job God's given us to do? In the last, in this, one of the songs we sang this evening, we, we use these words. King of endless worth, no one could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours, every single breath. Now that's the sort of song Paul could have sung and meant it. But for us, it's a challenge. When you think about whether our lives are about us, our families, our careers, or about Jesus. And the third section, verses 25 to 31... Paul talks about his clear conscience. 
So what's given him a clear conscience? Here we can see it's nothing to do with honesty or insincere heart or the passion of his worship. What he actually says is, he is innocent of the blood of any of you. Why? Because he hasn't hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. All that mattered was he told them what he needed to, the whole will of God. He wasn't worried whether or not they responded. He just had to do the telling. Too often, we worry about those we've told about Jesus but haven't responded yet. God doesn't ask us to make Christians just to preach the good news. But our responsibility is to tell them the whole will of God. So we need to make sure we don't water down the gospel to make it more palatable. We need to talk about justification, but also a life of sanctification. Happiness, but holiness. Mercy and justice, heaven and hell. But if we are, like Paul, proclaiming the whole will of God, we too can have a clear conscience, not worry about those who don't respond. We don't know people's next step. Like links in a chain, we just play the part God's given us. It may be that if we invite someone along to an event or talk to a stranger, like the children and families this morning, they're just moving one step closer to finding Jesus for themselves. If we tell people the whole will of God, we'll have clear conscience like Paul. Paul then ends his farewell by reminding them of some things they need to remember, some wise advice, which we're not going to look at in detail, but keep watch over themselves and the flock, 27 to 31, that it's God's grace that builds them up and gives them an inheritance, verse 32. That God and his word will build them up. Um, he reminds us of them of some words of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And that he'd always provided for himself. They should remember Jesus' words and ensure they help the weak. There's a whole sermon in that, so we can't go there. And then they prayed, embraced, kissed him, and saw him to his ship. So it's a farewell in which Paul talks not about the gospel, not about doctrine, but about himself and his qualities. His farewell speech is all about him. It sounds more like he's telling them why they should appoint him as their new church leader. Is that such a thing Dave said to you, Andy, Sarah? The things that Paul said? It's much more like that than the sort of leaving speeches we've all given or heard. Anna said to me, it's like he's doing a university personal statement for someone who's applying to study evangelism at university. But we've been studying Acts, and we've been studying Romans, and we know what he said about himself is true. He's not exaggerating because of an overinflated ego but he's saying the sort of things that others who knew him would have said about him. He's left the church leaders with something that precisely because it's personal they're likely to remember what he said. He knew that the people gathered on the shore, the leaders of the church in Ephesus, 
needed an example of how to live as leaders. They were his spiritual children. He cared about their future. He didn't know what would happen next. He didn't know God would send John to lead the church. He had no idea. But he showed them how he tried to live to give them a picture they could understand rather than a big list of do's and don'ts. So though Paul didn't say it, he didn't say, all you need to do is learn from me and live like me. It's implicit in what he said. But why could Paul do that? Why could he point to his life? Why was Paul's life worthy of being an example to those he was leaving? He could only do it because he'd based his life on Jesus. So Jesus was faithful to the mission God had given him. Once his ministry started, he went about telling people the good news, God's kingdom had come. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And then it carries, continues in verse 20. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, making it clear that he was applying that passage to himself. So he was faithful. He also had courage. He wasn't afraid of upsetting the religious leaders, however much the gospel he was preaching, he was preaching annoyed them. He knew it was God's will that he would suffer and die so we could be rescued. And before, before Judas agreed to betray Jesus, before the chief priests had met and actually made the plot to arrest Jesus and kill him, he said to his disciples in Matthew 26, verse 2, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. He knew, but he had courage. And Jesus had a clear conscience. In John chapter 17, verse 12, it's, it says, Jesus praying to God, says, While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. So, Though Paul was pointing to himself in his farewell speech, he's effectively pointing to Jesus because following his conversion, he'd lived his life following Christ in all he said and did. So what about us? Like Paul, we need to follow Christ. And we need to check that whoever else we're following, leaders, mega evangelists, worship leaders, songs we sing, vicars, whatever it is, we need to make sure that they're following Christ. Next week, we start another new chapter in the story of St. Stephen's Church. 
God's people here in Broadgate. And in every chapter, in every generation, we continue to try to follow Christ. We're unlikely to ever be in the situation Paul's in. Going, talking about ourselves goes against our nature. But just supposing that you did, or that you wrote your own obituary, would we, like Paul, be able to talk about ourselves in terms of our faithfulness in mission, our courage in adversity, and our clear conscience? And is that something that we can work on and aim on as we carry on through life so that people around us will see us and see those things in us and know them to be true? So as we move into this next period of time, let's resolve to continue to grow in discipleship so that we too can be known for these characteristics by those around us. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and the way that it teaches us to follow you. Pray that you will help us to, to be known by others for our faithfulness in mission, our courage in adversity and our clear conscience. And may we be true to you each day. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.